When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today David Avrin, who is the author of several books. David works with companies who are interested in standing out in a competitive environment. And one of the primary ways that you stand out is through your customer service. I am sure that you have had a negative customer experience that will be something that's memorable and you tell other people about. And David works with companies so that those things don't happen. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much for having me. This show focuses on people who've written business books as a way to open up doors for new opportunities. And I'd like you to go back in time to when you first thought about writing a book, whether it was for business or not, What was the motivation that took you from zero to one, from that not an author to the first book? Sure. Well, my first book was sort of a sappy dad book. It really had nothing to do with more a book on my heart, kind of a love letter to my kids that I wrote when I was about 40 years old and I'm 57 right now. Uh, But that was a different experience. That was something that was sort of from my heart and, and pouring out some of those essays. But when it came to business, because I speak for a living and I'm a keynote speaker and I consult and I work with organizations around the world, there was always that missing piece, that piece of credibility, of gravitas that comes from being the author of X. Now, granted, as much as we'd all like to have written the book, there is something to be said for writing a book. And so it's it's daunting. You know, it's, it's daunting for a lot of people now that I'm five books in. Um, I think back to that time, one of my favorite lines was a famous author was asked if she enjoyed writing. And her response was great. She said, I love to have written. I love to look back and having, but sort of looking ahead at sort of this daunting path. But I did what I think a lot of people do for their first book, Those in Business, is I did a compilation of a lot of the articles and blogs and others that I had written. And that sort of formed the basis for that first book. Not particularly linear, but a lot of my wisdom, but but disjointed in some ways. And so um, I filled in the gaps. And that was my first book, which was called It's Not Who You Know, It's Who Knows You. And fortunately, did very, very well, but it was over 10 years ago. But after that, and sort of that initial birth, you know, that wonderful moment when you open that box for the first time and you grab that book and you go, wow, like I I wrote a book. Um, and, and some nice accolades and things, which was great. But then I realized that I, uh, I knew there was better. I knew I could do better and to have more of a plan from the outset. And so I had an idea for the book that I wanted to write and once again, daunting, but I just treated myself like a client 
and I just mapped out Fridays for a few months and, and I didn't take appointments because those were the times I was going to write. And I had created mm-hmm. the, the table of contents and I just sat down and, and I wrote it. I love that line. This is the number one rule in writing is to write. So a lot of people planning and a lot of thoughts about it and you can get paralyzed. But, but I learned something very interesting in that mm-hmm. process. And this was advice that I got from someone else was saying the hardest part is getting the content down on the page or on the computer, or on the screen. Editing is a lot easier once you get that data dump. And they said, and, and I had a colleague who said, don't pause to fix words. Don't pause mm-hmm. to to fix punctuation, just write as fast as you can and as fast as you think. And next thing you know, you got 1500 words. Next thing you know, you have 4,000 words, you have 6,000 words and just writing and then moving things around is a lot easier after that. And so I found that I could actually write three times faster if I didn't pause to fix punctuation. You can go back and fix that stuff pretty pretty quickly. And And then it just started to flow. And then I was able to teach on the page like I teach from the stage or I teach from the front of the room. And so those who've read my books um, tell me all the time they can hear my voice because I think I write for the ear more than I write for the page. But um, it has become a really important part of my business. A really important part of business generation is to stay relevant and to stay visible and to, and to leave a tangible trail of wisdom. And that tangible trail is what you write and what you write down and not just the words that you espouse in your conversations. And let's focus on how you stay relevant. Tell me, how does that influence the topics you pick, for example, for your books? Well, it's the same methodology. I think it is for my consulting and for my speaking as well is, is, Taking my core expertise, which is is differentiation, customer experience is a more meaningful differentiator, and filtering it through what's going on in the world. I think the mistake that a lot of people make is they say, okay, what's hot right now? Let's go write about it. Mm-hmm. And I think you lack the uh, a broader you, lack the gravitas to write about things that you really aren't an expert in or don't have experience in. So for me, it's always a filter. It is a, uh, it's a progression. So it's my core subject, which is business and marketing and differentiation and, 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 and business generation, but through the filter of what's going on in the world. And that actually was the genesis for a big shift in my business from marketing to customer experience, because I sort of came to the realization over a number of years that, that what we say about ourselves from a marketing perspective, while very important, um, was becoming less impactful than what other people said about us. So I set about doing the research and learning. So I have something to say. And, and the, the data in some cases to back it up, some cases it's anecdotal. But to answer your question is I, I work to stay relevant and stay current um, to make sure that the important subject that I speak about is filtered through the realities of today. As we're now, for example, looking at a post-COVID world, what's different? So as we look at experience, what is ex- customer experience? What is that, that interaction, virtual, mobile, in-person? What does that look like differently now based on what we've gone through? And so that is, that's driving my content and my writing for articles, the podcast interviews that I do and the ones that I lead. 
the presentations and the consulting that I do with organizations and the books that I write. And so I, I, that's my biggest fear in business. I was talking to a, a very well-known colleague and I said, what's your biggest fear? And I said, irrelevance. My biggest fear is irrelevance. Um, if you have a subject that was a really big deal, like if you talked ethics during the Enron scandal, it was your time. Those who were doing that three years later struggled, not because ethics was unimportant. It was just no longer the priority because business had moved to other priorities or they had felt that they had addressed those situations. And so that reinvention, I think, is always really important. But my the thing that drives me is um, fear doesn't drive me, but but the the prospect of being seen as irrelevant or yesterday's news or, yeah, we already did that, which also drives the importance from a, a book and a publishing perspective is that my contention is for those who write and those who share their wisdom from the stage, consulting or others as, otherwise as well, we got to have a new book about every two to three years because the world changes within that period of time. And it doesn't mean that some books are very timeless in their wisdom, uh, but I, I, I strive to be timely and continue to be relevant. Using the timeline that you talked about for your second book, you wrote that book within a matter of probably several months. Sure. If you discuss having a new book every two to three years, then how much time would you allocate for writing your next book? You know, it, what's, what's really funny, Pat, is the, the, the conversations, I sort of equate it to um, when women give birth, and especially if they've got multiple children of the same gender. And then, you know, it's like shortly after birth and then somebody asked her, say, so are you going to try for another one? It's like, please don't talk to me about that right now. You know, I just went through this traumatic experience of giving birth. It's like, it's going to take a while before you're open to that again. And so I kind of think of the same thing. So I always give myself a good solid year after a book is out because it's hard. It's an arduous process going through the editing and the final. And then when you do give birth and you get that box of books on your front doorstep, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. But part of it is wonderful because you know what you've gone through to get to that point. It really is an accomplishment that very few people um, from a percentage perspective actually get to experience or have earned the right to experience. So I'm normally about a year after and I start thinking about what's next and I start just jotting down ideas. There's some wonderful programs. I use a program called Scrivener, uh, which is a wonderful um, online program to sort of... Uh, I think the best word to um, organize your thoughts. I'm a big believer in, in writing the title and the chapter titles before you write the book. Like, what do you really want to write about? What is it that, that you think is going to be impactful and, and add to the public discourse? And so my, my most recent book before the one I just have here was a book called Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. And that was, you know, I always think from the perspective, is this a book that, that somebody would say, I want that? And then I said, okay, now let's fill it up with the, with the actual information. So I'm a big believer in writing the table of contents first, because it is daunting to do it. But if I, I want to cover this, I want to cover this, I want to cover this. And it doesn't mean that that's written in stone, but at least you have the outline. And then from a writing perspective, it's literally just take, it's, it's eating the elephant one bite at a time. And it makes me think back to my, uh, when I was young, I always took on too much and I would get really frustrated. My father, who was a rocket scientist, a real rocket scientist, was very good at 
being measured and pragmatic while I was flying off the handle as a teenager. And I remember him talking to me once, one of the most profound lessons in my life that I, that I take into my writing, which was, I was just overwhelmed with all the obligations that I took on and extracurricular activities and everything else. He says, write everything down on a piece of paper. And I said, so what's that? So he says, just humor me, just do it. So I wrote down everything and it filled up an entire piece of paper, one line at a time. And I said, see, look at this. There's just too much. I can't, it's overwhelming. And right, we get paralyzed because it's so huge. And he says, take a piece of paper, take a blank piece of paper and put it on top of the other one. And I said, what is it? He says, just humor me. So we put, I put it on top of that. And he says, no, just slide it down that all you can see is the very first line. Yeah. And, I, and he said, can you do, I said, because I can't do all those things. He said, can you do that? Just that, just that one. And I said, yeah, he says, just do that one. And when you're done, put a line through it. And it feels really good to put a line through it. And so that's how I write. Um, is I come up with all of the chapter titles and I know what I want to cover. And maybe I'll write in, in this wonderful program online in Scrivener, like three sentences. In this chapter, I want to cover this and this. I'm going to probably tell the story about this. And I want them to walk away with this, right? I could do that whole thing in 45 minutes for the book, right? But then when it's time, some people dictate and just stream of consciousness while they're driving in their car or something else. I just write and I, I'll check myself into a hotel and I'll just pick one of those subjects and just write as much as I can, not worry about the order, everything I know about that subject, everything I want to say and stick it in that chapter. And on a different day or a different hour, I write a little bit about another one. And then when I'm in the next month, in the next few weeks, if I have an idea, oh, oh I want to make sure I include that in that chapter. I go back to that chapter and I write a little note. And, and over the course of, of weeks or months, your book starts taking shape. No, I, I know I'm telling you this and so you understand this, but for those as well, it's, uh, it, it's creating a structure and a discipline to get it done. But when I look at a whole, the whole idea of writing a book, I look at it's daunting. There's no, I can't do that. But can I write a chapter? Can I write an essay? Can I write on a specific subject and just go on a rant? Absolutely. Next thing you know, you look down, you've written 40,000 words. And that's when you might work with a partner or somebody else to help you take a look and, and maybe a line editor and help you with all the uh, inconsistent Oxford commas or whatever else you do. But, but for me, it's, it's real legacy stuff uh, that, that a, a chance to get all that content down on paper. And I love the system that you're describing because without that sense of direction, I have seen people get lost in their material without knowing where they're headed next, without that ability that you're describing to pick up content and write about it at the time that those ideas are hitting you. I will have a caution as a nurse and as a person who worked with attorneys for personal injury cases that I would ask the listener to please not dictate your book while you're driving and stay good, good concentrated on the road. Um, I do know of people who do videos when they're driving and it gives me the shivers from having the distracted driving yeah. piece. Uh, so I, that's in me interjecting my opinion on the safety. No, And, and I concur. And I, I was just sort of thinking like, no matter what you're doing, if you got an idea, just, Dictate it, but you're right not to do it while we're we're need to be otherwise occupied and otherwise yes. focused. And I think also the point that you made, David, about 
every two or three years, staying relevant, coming out with new material, puts you in front of your audience. I look back at the books that I have done. I have written 49 books as of this moment. And wow. some of the big, big textbooks that came out in second, third, fourth editions, they took a year from the point that we turned the manuscript over to the publisher, to the point that all the editing was done. I know now, and I'm sure you see this as well, David, that the big multi-volume textbooks is a whole different genre. And people are looking for shorter, more consumable, more digestible books that they can pick up like your current book and say, this is going to satisfy a specific need. And I don't want to read a hundred thousand words on the topic. I want it to be condensed down to what I really need to know. Yeah. Well, even within the book itself, having smaller sections and easily digestible, um, not only from the perspective of being an easier read, but books that are really long are daunting and there's a barrier to purchase. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember being younger and seeing books like I was really into uh, in my in my youth and college and science fiction and horror. And I love Stephen King. And all, but I remember picking up The Stand oh, yes. and, and saying, I'm not going to buy this. I, had the I was 19 and I had the and I have I've got teens myself. Um, there's no attention span. It was prohibitively long that I didn't even want to start it. And so I think there's something to be said for a marketable book as well. Um, if you're writing to generate business, there is something to be said for the credibility and the gravitas from having written a book. People don't even need to read it. There is an instant credibility. However, if they actually do read it, you're that much farther in terms of being able to share your wisdom. Uh, they want more. You're able to demonstrate what you can do that you have that you have thoughts and lessons and strategies that are relevant and applicable and attractive to business audiences. But if you write something that's never even read, I mean, many of us who speak, uh, Larry Wingett had a great line. He says, I sell souvenirs in the back of the room, right? I sign souvenirs. And it's wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful ego, you know, boost and people line up or they want to take a picture. But I know that half the people who buy my book aren't going to read it. I hope they do, because I think they're really good. And I put a lot of time and effort into making them engaging and useful and, and relevant. Um, and if you write something that is, uh, for lack of a better word, accessible, uh, you're more likely to have somebody actually read it. And if you, if you uh, when I've worked with publishers in the past, and they always want you to write 55 thousand words so that they can reduce it down to 48,000 to 50,000 words, because everything you write isn't golden. I mean, let's just be honest, you know, everything isn't magnificent. So I think you're almost better off being able to write 55,000 and use your best 50. Right. And so, but some people are so enamored with their own words that it just goes on. It's like a speech a speech that could have been done in 35 minutes. That takes 90 minutes. You tend to lose people. And so I think you're right. I think concise, I think writing with a voice so that you can almost hear somebody's voice as you read it. Uh, there is, there's credibility that comes from having a book and there's bolstered credibility from having a book that's actually read. And you're bringing up an important point. If you're working with an editor, whether you are independently publishing your book or working with a publisher, 
who supplies an editor, you have to be willing as the author to hear another person's perspective and recognize yeah. that maybe you think your words are golden, but the editor comes up with a better way of expressing that idea. Um, I have struggled with authors whose ego has been so tied up in every word that they have resisted any change. And that makes it very difficult to present them in a professional light yeah. because not everybody's voice is coherent the way that it's written. Right. And, 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 the, and the other side of that is making sure that you're partnered up with editors and others who understand your audience and understand, right? But it has to be a collaborative effort. What, what's really interesting is for those who have said, I don't want to work with a major publisher. I don't want to give up the control of my words. And, and, and I'm like, your publisher doesn't want to write your book. They just want to help you make sure that your book is great. You know, they're, they're so, oh, I'm not going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to take it over and change my work. No, it's yours. They just want it to be great. And they want it to sell. I mean, it's a they business. They want it to sell. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they I write, I write $24 business cards. Um, I, I, I certainly, I have a lot of, of pride in, in the books. I have a lot of blood, sweat and tears in them. But at the end of the day, this feeds my family and not the $20 for the book but the business that, that's generated by the sharing of the wisdom, whether it's consulting or speaking or the other things that I do, I'm very clear of the business purpose for the books that I write. It is, mm -hmm. it is, it is to, to demonstrate and give a glimpse and a taste of the, the wisdom and the strategies that I share in, in a tangible form. But ultimately, it has to generate business because... As I said, my, my family has gotten very used to eating crazy, like every day. Apparently, yes. my kids want to eat every day. So, so I, yeah. I get my butt down to my office and I work. And I want to wrap up this podcast by asking you, from, from where you're sitting, you talked about staying relevant. And we have gone through a, a tremendous time in the last year and a half. Oh. How do you see um, the customer service experience changing as a result of what we've gone through with the pandemic, with the isolation, with so much moving online that used to not be online? Sure. I, I think in many ways we have, I think COVID has accelerated what has long been predicted about how we're going to be able to connect. I mean, look, look at you and I right now in this conversation, for those who are able to watch this in, in video, for our parents, this is magic. This is magic. For you and I, it's Monday, right? And so what, what happened during this time is we've learned, and it began certainly long before, that we can get anything that we want. We can reach anybody anywhere in the world. We can buy and select and customize virtually anything. And so for those who are less flexible, from a business perspective, those who have business models that were created 20 years ago without much change, you're going to be left behind if you haven't already. And so while historically as business owners, we have touted our great quality and our service and our, and our, our, our people and our, uh, how much we care, our customers are telling us very clearly that today they prioritize speed and convenience and flexibility, we are entering an age that will require an extraordinary level of flexibility and accommodation. And the things that we've traditionally said no to, we're going to have to rethink 
because somebody else is going to say yes. Doesn't mean we violate our, our moral center, but it, and it doesn't mean that, that sometimes the answer is no. I mean, if you have a vegan restaurant, somebody wants a Buffalo burger, that's a hard no, right? <laughs> but, but smart companies are learning to say, let me tell you what I can do and offer alternatives, create partnerships. Doesn't mean you stop a major manufacturing process for a one-off, but it does mean you create synergistic partners with others who can, you can offload some of that business and you can partner for those things. Um, the things that we want today or tomorrow, when somebody says, sorry, we don't do overnight delivery. Well, we know that you can, you just choose not to, or that might be difficult. Well, customers appreciate it. I get my groceries delivered. It's awesome. I would never, I would never have thought about it. I feel guilty, but it, it's, it's pretty wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'm not going back. Right. So the, the short answer is that we've learned that we can do business differently. doesn't mean that it's always preferable, but we have more options than we've ever had, which means business owners need to look at adopting as many of those options for their customers as possible. There is something magical about opening up the door and there are your groceries sitting in front of you. You're right. It's great. Yeah. We have two houses in, in, in Florida. We can do that in our house in New Jersey. We are 30 minutes from the nearest town. So they're not interested in making a one hour round trip just to come to our house. But uh, we have accommodated, we figured out how to go to the grocery store for those situations. For the, the last bit of wisdom, David, I know that people who are watching this or listening to this on our audio channels are going to want to know about the book that you just released. And I believe that it was within this month, probably within yeah, the next couple just, of weeks. Just a week ago, yeah. Tell us about that book and how people can find out more about you and the services that you offer. Sure. Thank you so much. The book is called The Morning Huddle. And the tagline is powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up, shake you up and win more business. And the whole idea is based on this video series that I have, which is just starting conversations. I'm a big believer that the answers are in the room, a big believer that when we crowdsource our own company, our own team, even ourselves, for those who are entrepreneurial and ask some deeper questions about what our customers really want, not just what we want to deliver, what we're really good at. And so the book, The Morning Huddle is about starting those conversations, challenging your thinking, and um, just been thrilled that the the response has been really, really strong. If people want to learn more about me, you can look me up at davidaverin.com, just my name. Last name is A-V-R-I-N, davidaverin.com. Learn about my speaking and consulting and all my other books and everything else. So I appreciate the opportunity for a little plug there. And the morning huddle was something that I adopted when I was running my medical legal business and an interesting comment, David, my staff socialized each other because they, the older, more established people knew that I always asked their opinions about how we should proceed. And then one person said to me early, well, Pat, just tell us what you want us to do. You know, you tell us. And I said, no, that's not the way it works. You know, you're involved in this decision making. So then I hired a new person and she looked at me and said, Pat, just tell us. And the older, more experienced person said, no. That's not the way we do it here. Pat wants your input on this decision-making. So you can use your morning huddle for tremendous um, team building and communication purposes within your business, I have found. Absolutely. I I think people have, they're on the front lines. They see it every day. 
And sometimes the uh, leadership can be a little bit disconnected from what happens on a day-to-day basis. And so putting that kind of conversation on the calendar, um, I call it scheduling serendipity. You know, sometimes those best ideas and comments come from those unexpected conversations. Well, what if we put those conversations on the calendar and just knew that every week at this time, we were going to turn off our phones and engage in a deeper conversation. There is brilliance among your team. I guarantee you. Just take the time and, and give them a safe place to be heard. Yeah, that's key. They have to feel safe. They have to feel appreciated. They have to feel if they speak up, they're not going to be jumped on and that their opinions and perspectives count. Yeah. And when you take care of them as the manager, then they take care of your customers and they have a better customer experience. So it all goes around in a circle, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate the time that you've spent with us today and sharing your wisdom. You've inspired me when, you, when you've talked about the process that you follow for writing your books, for using Scrivener and using it as a way to capture those ideas when they are hitting you. You've also talked about the recovery process. I had two or three years between my books, but I had seven years between my children. So that's a significant difference, (laughs) significant physical investment. And looking at staying relevant, uh, we're on this podcast because David sent me an email about his book and I sent him an email back and said, hey, let's do a podcast. I've known David from National Speakers Association from the hallways, but I don't think that we ever talked at length. And that email triggered me to think about David and his new book and watch his video, which was a very effective book trailer, which we haven't even gotten into, to bring to my attention the value of the morning huddle. So I would encourage you to check out what David has to offer and to stay tuned with Writing to Get Business Tell a couple of friends of yours who are interested in writing a book or looking for some inspiration or different strategies for writing their next book to check out Writing to Get Business podcast. Thank you. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. I have with me today David Averin, who has just published, I believe, his sixth or seventh book. And David, I wanted to ask you for our listener or our viewer, what are some of the key things that we covered in this podcast? You know, I think what we, what we talked about that was really important was the idea of staying relevant and avoiding irrelevance. And that requires delivery of content on a regular basis. And regular basis, I think, in publishing is about every two to three years because the world changes every two to three years. So having a new book, new content, new lessons and insight is really important for that. And I think we also talked about was the process of writing. It's so daunting for so many. You look at the idea of writing a book and while there are no shortage of people who say, I've always had a book in me, I've always wanted to write a book, a very small percentage of people actually do it because it's daunting. And so the whole idea we covered Uh, breaking it up into smaller pieces, being clear on the title and the chapter titles first, and and writing one at a time. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. You'll have an opportunity in the podcast that you're about to watch to meet Steve Shapiro, who is focused all about aspects of innovation. 
Steve, tell our viewer or our listener some of the key topics that you cover during your podcast. So we actually covered quite a bit, which was great. Uh, we talked about uh, how can we create tools that actually support the content of a book. So if you think about the book as the start rather than the end, well, what else could you create? Yes, there's services, but there's enablement tools and other types of tools that we can create that will create even more value for the reader of the book. So we talked about that and we talked about also going a little deeper. A lot of times it's it's vogue to figure out what your next book is going to be and what your next topic is going to be. But in some cases, the best thing you can do is take what you just wrote about and go deeper and deeper and deeper into it so that you can create even more value for your reader. Uh, and then finally, I think the last thing we just talked about is uh, recognizing that the book's purpose is really not about royalties. It really is about impact uh, because the more impact you make, then the greater your other services and everything else you do will be taken care of. So I think it was a really fascinating conversation. We covered a lot of different topics related to innovation, related to books, related to products. And, and I thank you, Pat, for that conversation. Thank you to you, Stephen, and thank you to you for being a part of the listenership of this show or the viewership on our YouTube channel. Be sure to tune in for Steve Shapiro's podcast and get ready to be excited about the process of innovation. I think it will open up your eyes to the many nuances and aspects that help us understand why innovation is successful and also conversely why it can fail. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.